Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 10, we're going to go down to verse 28 and uh, begin uh, our study uh, verse 28, though we're not going to uh, initially start there, but we will get back to verse 28. Mark chapter 10, uh, verse 28. There'll be a couple other sections of scripture that I'm going to ask you to turn to, so you might want to put a bookmark here, uh, and that would be solid uh, and really, really help you. For the next two weeks, what I want to do is talk to you about prayer-empowered ministry. If you've been around for a long time, you've heard that phrase before. If you've not, it might be the very first time that you've ever heard that phrase. But I just want to talk about the power and the necessity of prayer uh, in, in any life or in any family or in any ministry. The title of my message is this morning, What Do You Want From Me? Subtitled, The Secret of Christ-Like Praying. And I just want to study this section uh, together. Now, in this passage of Scripture, I want to tell you, the word prayer is never mentioned. Next Sunday's uh, sermon, uh, from uh, Mark chapter 11, prayer is mentioned. But in this section of Scripture, I want to tell you, the, the word prayer is never mentioned. However, there is just a prayer-centered uh, phrase. And when I, we'll read the phrase together, uh, it's impossible for you to think of this, prayer, this uh, phrase referring to Jesus without the idea of prayer coming to your mind. The phrase is found two times in this section of Scripture, one in verse 36, and then again in verse 51. Let's read those two verses, and I will show you the phrase. Jesus asks the question, and he says in verse 36, what do you want me to do for you? Then you come down to verse 51, you see exactly the same phrase again. And I, I think this is very interesting that the same phrase kind of uh, works as, as a glue to hold this section of Scripture together. In verse 51, Jesus asks another individual, again, exactly the same question. What do you want me to do for you? The question this morning, as I've already given you, is what do you really want Jesus to do for you? When you're praying as an individual, what are you really wanting Jesus to do for you as an individual? As you're praying together as a, as a couple, and I hope you pray together uh, as a couple. My wife and I do on a regular basis. I, I, I just want to know, what are you praying over your family? What do you really want Jesus to do for your family? As we gather together on Sunday morning, the question needs to be asked, what above everything else? There are a lot of things that we might pray for, but what above everything else? If we could only pray one prayer request, what would that prayer request really be? In other words, what do we really want Jesus to do for us? In this section of Scripture, though prayer is never mentioned, the word prayer is never mentioned, I believe there are is described for us three levels of prayer. Level one, Level 2, Level 3. And I want to share those with you this morning. Take some notes, highlight in your Bible, underline some things. Uh, let's study God's Word because I want you to understand these three levels of prayer from this section of Scripture. Level number one, you can write it down, is all for me kind of praying. All for me kind of praying. Now, the reference for that is verse 32 down to verse 30, uh, 45. Verse 32 down to verse 45, we read about a couple of guys who come to Jesus with a request, and really we understand what this all-for-me kind of level one prayer is all about. Now, the whole context of this first, what-do-you-want-from-me statement is odd at the very best. 
pick up your Bible, look with me, verse 32 to verse 34. The Scripture says this, they were on their way to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. Folks, you need to understand that Jesus did not go to the cross because he had to. Jesus went to the cross because he wanted to. And he led the way to the cross. And notice what it says. Uh, And the disciples were astonished while all of those who followed along with him were afraid. And again, he took the twelve aside and he told them what was going to happen to him. Uh, He had done this two times previously in Mark. And he comes back here in this section. He says, I don't want you to be uh, at all not understanding what's going to happen when we get to Jerusalem. Just a few days from now. We're not talking months now. We're talking just a few days away from Jerusalem. And he said, I want you to know exactly what's going to happen. He says, verse 33, we're going to go up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man, that's Jesus, will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and they will condemn him to death, and they will hand him over to the Gentiles. Remember, the Jews could not kill anyone, only the Gentiles, only the Romans authorities could do that. He'll be handed over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And three days later, he will rise again. Now that's the context of this first, what do you want me to do for you, question or request. And that question by Jesus comes after two of his closest apostles who had been with him from the very beginning came to Jesus with, with a mind-boggling question. Notice Jesus has just said, guys, I'm going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be arrested, and I'm going to be mocked, and I'm going to be beaten, and I'm going to be crucified. Three days later, I'm going to rise again. And two of his apostles, in verse 35, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us Whatever we ask. The phrase could much better be translated, we want you to do for us whatever will make us happy. The word, whatever we ask, uh, phrase, whatever we ask, has the idea of delight in it. And we want you, Jesus, to do for us whatever is going to make us happy. Jesus then, and i got to go on down to verse 41, because in verse 41 it wasn't just uh, these two guys that uh, had that in mind, but in verse 41 you read, when the uh, other ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. I think it was simply because they thought, man, why did we think of that first, you know? Uh, Because uh, as Jesus uh, asked them in verse 36, he said, what do you want me to do for you? And they replied, let one of us sit on your right hand and the other on your left hand when you come in your glory. And the other apostle said, man, why do we think of that? We're on the way to Jerusalem. The King Messiah is here. He's going to bring in His kingdom in great glory. And James and John have beaten us to the punch because they've already said, we want the chief seats. We want the best seats. We want to be the highest in authority in your kingdom. Now Jesus teaches a lesson about the nature of His kingdom. The nature of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven in verse 43 and 45. 
He says in verse 40, uh, 43, he says, Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. One writer describes that with this statement. He says, The paradox of the kingdom of God is that the way to privilege position is not by grabbing for power, but by relinquishing it through suffering and death. You might say to yourself, what on earth does all this have to do with prayer? I think it has everything to do with prayer because you'll remember that I said this phrase, what do you want me to do for you, is really about prayer. And the question is, what does this have to do in describing this uh, uh, level one kind of prayer? Well, folks, I want you to understand that level one kind of prayer is always about what I want. It's always about what will make me happy. It's kind of like a visit uh, with our little kids to Santa Claus. Uh, and we go uh, up to Santa Claus, and Santa Claus never says, Now, Sonny, uh, you know, how would you like to serve me today? That's not what he says. What does he say? What do you want me to bring you on Christmas? And we all understand uh, what that's all about. It's kind of like my granddaughter. She's eight years old. She's been putting her teeth under the, uh, under the uh, pillow for the tooth fairy to, to leave her some money, you know, and that, that's uh, what her deal is, and she does that, and the tooth fairy always brings her money. But this is what she's learned. I'm Poppy, by the way, to my granddaughter Julie. She has learned already that Poppy is richer than the tooth fairy. So, uh, you know, she might get a dollar from the tooth fairy. She tells me about a tooth, and her mom looks at me when I hand her a $10 bill and said, you never gave me a $10 bill, and I said, I wasn't your poppy, okay? And, and that's just the deal. She said, we shouldn't give her that much. And I said, I didn't ask you. When I want your opinion, I'll ask you for your opinion, you know? But that's kind of the idea behind level one kind of praying. God, we want you to give us what will make us happy? And I just got to give this warning right now to you because a lot of us watch online preachers or television preachers and many of them are solid and great. Many are good, godly, Bible-teaching uh, uh, men or, or women of God and I would encourage you to build into them. But I got to tell you, there are many, Rather than preaching the truth about what real discipleship is all about, they really talk and teach level one kind of praying and living. Because it doesn't take very long to listen, very long at all, to hear a message about, all you got to do is just ask God, and He will give you whatever He wants, as if God is here to give us whatever we want, whenever we want. Have you heard those messages before? I would just say, uh, be, be careful of those, and I will not give you any names at all. But I want to talk to you about prayer, uh, empowered ministry, and level one prayer. I want you to understand, if you're just getting started in a walk with Jesus, and you find most of your prayers being about you, can I tell you, that is totally okay. That's a good starting point. Uh, you know, uh, if you're praying, God, uh, I, you, you know, it's about me, it's about me, it's about me, that, that's an okay place. It's just kind of like your children coming to me. I, I want, I want, I want. And that's the place to start. Nothing wrong with that whatsoever if that's uh, where you're starting. But if you've been walking with Jesus for a while, I just want to tell you, isn't that kind of, or ask you, isn't that kind of a selfish way to go before the Father Always, it's all about me, it's all about me, it's all about me. I, I, but I do want to tell you, if that's where you are and you're thinking about your own prayers and most of them are all about you, I, I want to tell you there's good news. Because the Holy Spirit wants to move you from that level one kind of praying that's focused totally on you 
to higher levels of prayer. That's level one prayer. Let's move to level two prayer uh, that we find in this uh, section of scripture, and that's the have mercy praying. Have mercy praying. And this is a great place to be if you're going through a struggle in your life. And there, uh, there's uh, absolutely nothing wrong with this. As a matter of fact, you're going to find out that Jesus absolutely loves this kind of have mercy kind of prayer. Now, uh, and you just want to write down a reference, verse 46 through 52 is a section of the scripture that talks about have mercy kind of praying. Now, the, uh, this is a great story because it describes that uh, higher level of prayer that Jesus just loves to pray. Let's pick up with verse 46. You got it there in your Bibles? Verse 46 says, they came to Jericho. You'll remember Jericho is the place when Joshua came into the promised land in Joshua chapter 6, the very first victory that God ever had on a battlefield, and God had the victory. It wasn't an army. It wasn't a man. When a bunch of guys strategizing about how we can win the victory over Jericho, God said, march around the, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the, the uh, walls of the city uh, once a day for six days, and on the seventh day, walk around seven times, toot your horns real loud, and it's going to fall flat. Now, for those of you that are in uh, active duty military right now, I would suggest to you, don't go to your commander with that kind of a strategy to win a battle, okay? He's probably going to laugh you, right? maybe not laugh you out, he's probably going to scold you directly, but that's what God said to do in that section of Scripture. They came to Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples, uh, together uh, with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man by the name of Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside, and he was begging. Wasn't unusual to find beggars on the roadside, kind of like the uh, men or women you might see on, uh, uh, as you come in and out of Walmart or uh, one of the local shopping centers. And this guy was just sitting there begging. Verse 47. It says, When he heard that Jesus of Nazareth, uh, when he heard uh, that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he is calling for you. We go on in the story, in verse 50 it says, throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. And Jesus asked, that's that question again, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind said, Rabbi, I want to see. Of course he wanted to see, he was blind. And Jesus said, go, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the uh, road. There are three lessons about level two kind of praying. That's uh, have mercy on me praying. Uh, and any of us that have been in a hard spot in our, life, our lives, we've all called out to God, have mercy on me in one way or another. But there are three lessons that I really want to uh, throw at you from this section of Scripture. In verse 47, the man cried to Jesus, and he called him Jesus, the son of David. The son of David is really uh, an idea, it's an Old Testament uh, prophetic term for the Messiah. And essentially what he was saying was, Jesus, I believe you're the Messiah. Jesus, I believe you're the Christ. Jesus, I believe that you're the one that all of the prophecies of the Old Testament, hundreds of them, had pointed to. 
Jesus, I believe that you're the one who God, the creator of the universe, has sent into the world to free us from sin and to free us from all harm whatsoever. That's what the scripture says. In the book of Isaiah chapter 22 and verse 1, it describes Jesus this way. It says, a shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. Anybody remember who Jesse was? He was the father of David. A shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. And from his roots, a branch, that's Jesus, will bear fruit. Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 56 and uh, I'm sorry, verse 5 and 6. It says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up from David a righteous branch. And he will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. That's Jesus that he's talking about in that section of Scripture. Folks, I want you to just simply understand that whenever you pray in Jesus' name, you're saying, Jesus, you're the Messiah. You're the Messiah when you pray in Jesus' name. Second lesson I want you to learn about have mercy praying, and that is, number one, Jesus is the Messiah. Number two, Jesus is always attentive to your prayers when you pray for mercy. He's always attentive to your prayers when you call on Him for mercy. How do I know that? It says in verse 47, as the the man was calling out to Jesus, and people began to rebuke Jesus, verse 49, it says that Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped and listened to His cry for mercy. One of the most frequent cries uh, to God uh, by the afflicted is a cry for mercy. In Psalms, we read that over and over and over again. Psalm uh, 41 and uh, chapter 4 and verse 1 says, Righteous God, answer me when I call to you. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. Psalm chapter 6 verse 2 and 3 says, Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, O Lord? How long? Psalm 51, verse 1 and 2 says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Folks, I want you to understand, whenever you cry out to God uh, in uh, a have mercy kind of a prayer, you are acknowledging when you pray in Jesus' name that He's the Messiah. Number two, you need to understand that Jesus is always attentive to your cry for mercy. Scripture says... Cast all of your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. One last lesson that you learn here uh, in this section of Scripture about level 2 prayer, and that is that your prayer for mercy always captures Jesus' attention. I got ahead of myself just a moment ago uh, when I made reference to verse 46 where it says that Jesus stopped. That's the idea that I want you to see there. Your prayer for mercy always captures Jesus' attention. When the man cried out, The scripture says, Jesus stopped. Now remember where Jesus was going. He was going on a mission from God to die on a cross for you and me. But the cry of one beggar stopped him in his tracks to listen attentively to what he says. Hebrews chapter 7, if you don't write down anything else, I would write down this. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 24 and 25, talks about Jesus and his desire to intercede for us in our need. It says there, Jesus lives forever as our permanent priest, and he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. 
because he always lives and sits at the right hand of God to intercede for us. Folks, I want you to understand that Jesus loves your level two kind of prayers. No matter how big they are, no matter how small they are, they may seem insignificant to anybody else, but to you it's a massive issue. I want you to understand if you are worried about something, the Lord wants to know about it. He really does. And level two praying is a great place to be. And we need to do that on a regular basis. But I want us to move very quickly and lastly to this last level three uh, level of praying. And I'm calling that all for him praying. All for him praying. Go back, if you would, with me to verse 28. uh, And I want you to notice that, this. Now, if you were here last week, you'll remember that we left off the story uh, by studying about a rich young ruler that came to Jesus one day and said, what do I need to do to be saved? And Jesus said, you need to sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And verse 20 and 21, 21, 22 said the man went away sad because he had a lot of wealth. He had a lot of wealth and he went away sad. Now, let's pick up the story in verse 28. I'm sorry, then Peter spoke up. And he said, Lord, we have left everything to follow you. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, uh, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and for the gospel, watch this, will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Now Mark's the only one that includes this statement, persecutions. The question has to be asked, why does only Mark mention this? Well, the Gospel of Mark, let me give you some background, was written by John Mark of, of, uh, uh, of the book of Acts fame. He was a cousin, according to uh, Colossians chapter 4 and verse 10, he was Barnabas's cousin. Now, in chapter 13 of Acts, in verse 13, on the first missionary journey, John Mark was the guy, you might remember, who gave up when things got too hard and went back home. And in chapter 15, verse 36 through 41, where Paul wanted to start a second journey, Barnabas said, hey, let's take John Mark with us. And Paul said, no way, he's a quitter. He's not going to go with us this time. And it caused such a dissension that they split ranks and uh, went two separate different directions. You can read that on our own. Now, in this section of Scripture and in the Bible, there is a significant lesson on grace. Because when the Holy Spirit selected a writer for a gospel to be written to Christians in Rome who are currently undergoing severe persecution and wondering, should we give up or not, guess who he selected to write the letter? Mark. The quitter. He was the one. You see, according to history, sometime after... Paul died, was executed in prison, John Mark begins meeting with with the Apostle Peter. And he just asks him, would you tell me stories about Jesus? I want to know who this Jesus is. And Peter just gave his personal reminiscings of what life with Jesus was all about. And through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that became the Gospel of Mark. Isn't that marvelous? Isn't that grace-filled that God would do that? 
Now what you need to understand to his readers, the persecutions that Jesus talked about in uh, in this section of Scripture are not hypothetical. Up until 64 AD, Rome had really given little attention to the gatherings of Christians for worship. They didn't really care less. But in the summer of 64 AD, just before this gospel was written, a disastrous, disastrous fire swept across the city of Rome, burning 10 of the 14 wards of the city. Because it was uncertain who had lit the fire, many said Emperor Nero had done it. But because it was so, uh, uh, so uh, uncertain, Emperor Nero needed a scapegoat to blame for causing this damage in the city. And so he placed the blame squarely on Christians. And that decision began the crucifixion of thousands. Caused the thousands of Christians to be hung on Lanterns and burned alive as human torches. It caused the circus games to begin where unarmed Christians, brothers and sisters, just like you and I, were thrown to wild animals. And unarmed, they were thrown to gladiators who butchered them as the crowds cheered. Thousands of Christians died during this time just before Mark would be written. And so his words, all the things that come to you, will come to you along with persecution are key words. But i got to tell you, the church did not die. Rather, the church exploded. Exploded in growth. It seemed as if the more the emperors tried to wipe it out, the more the church grew. My question to you is, what kind of prayers did those disciples of Jesus Christ pray? I can give you two, though I only have time to look at one. One was a prayer of thanksgiving. Write down 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12 through 14. There Peter writes and he says, Thank God that you have been named worthy to uh, lose your life because of Jesus Christ. The historians record just countless numbers of those Christians who the very last words before they died was, thank you, Lord Jesus, that I'm worthy of suffering with you in my death. But there was another prayer that these Christians prayed, and it's described in Acts chapter 4. Turn with me there. You can leave, Mark. We won't come back. Acts chapter 4 to the right, and... This section of Scripture in Acts chapter 4 gives an amazing story long before these Christians would would be praying this prayer, but we know they prayed this prayer because it's recorded by the history uh, historians over and over again. They prayed prayed this prayer, and notice what it says. Peter and uh, a couple of apostles, Peter and John, had just been arrested, and uh, they were released, and they go back to the church. This is the very early days of the church. It says, verse 23, on their release, Peter and John went back uh, to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. What would their prayers be? Watch what it says. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made heaven and the earth and sea and everything in them. 
You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against His anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles, the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did, they did what uh, your power and will had decided before him should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand and heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God boldly. Do you remember where we started? Whenever Christians gather together, two or three of them, and they ask for anything, any one thing, I'll be glad to give it to you. And I have to ask you today, friend, if the church of Jesus Christ in our country, and if this church, this church, needed any one prayer request, what would it be? We shared with you a financial need last week. That's not the need. That's not the need. You know what the need is? It's for a holy boldness among all of God's people, all of God's people, to evangelize their neighbors and their friends with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Through my ministry, I have always realized that uh, when I was on to something that the Holy Spirit was leading in, I I should uh, expect Satan to challenge strongly. Some of you have heard that uh, my desire, and I just felt that God was, uh, not my desire, but I just felt that God was leading me to help lead us as a congregation into reaching our neighbors uh, and our friends around us that, uh, uh, through a strategy uh, that where I would just call people to pray for your neighbors, your coworkers, just to share with them God's love, just to love on them, uh, uh, care for them rather, and then to share with them the gospel. Just a simple strategy. Because you see, Paul and I were talking earlier, uh, all of us are very timid. We're all shy. And if I were to go out and say, stand on the street corner and preach the gospel, we'll all pass out. We'd be more comfortable praying than we would do that. But folks, that's a strategy. All of us can pray for our neighbors by name. All of us can ask God, the Holy Spirit, to cause us to care for those that we work with. And all of us can say, God, would you give me through supernatural power confidence, boldness to speak a gospel message to them. As I said, I've always uh, realized that when I was on to something, Satan hates it and he always goes to uh, working hard to defeat that. My plan, not God's plan, my plan was uh, in September to, man, be leading this charge, aggressively talking to you every single week about this. In August, as many of you know, my wife was diagnosed with cancer, breast cancer. Now, she's, she's, she's getting better. Um, she's home really sick today, but that's chemotherapy. She's getting better. We found out this last week, we had hoped, we had thought, uh, 
that she would be done in March. You know, you always got to read the fine print when the doctor gives you something, don't you? And in the fine print, he had told us, first time we saw him, that her chemotherapy was going to run a whole year. It was confirmed to us on Tuesday that through October of next year, she'll be battling through chemotherapy, and it's ugly. It's not, we're praying that it's going to get easier, and we think it will. We think it will. But this is why I know that whenever you try to step out in a positive direction, Satan's going to attack. That's not just church-wide, that's personal-wide. You try to stand up for Jesus, Satan's going to attack, tear you down. But this is the one thing that I know. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell cannot stand against it. So what kind of prayer do we need to be praying here at Chester Christian Church? If I could give you one prayer request, just, just one prayer request to pray every day for the next 30 days, it would be God give us boldness. Give us boldness. Give us boldness to pray for our neighbors, to care for our friends who don't know Jesus and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. I want to end by sharing with you the word, a word of grace. Megan, last slide. I give that because, you know, I, I shared with you, uh, and uh, Ben, y'all get ready. Uh, come on out if you'd like to. Remember, I, I shared with you that this whole story began with John Mark. Remember that? John Mark, he's the quitter. Uh, he's the guy that uh, uh, wouldn't follow through, wouldn't continue uh, when going got tough, and he left. He bailed on the Apostle Paul, and Paul said, forget him. You know, we're going back on another journey. He is not going with us. He's a quitter. By God's grace, the Holy Spirit tapped him to be the writer of the second gospel in the New Testament. And you really ought to, beside the word Mark, you ought to have in bold print the, the, the one-time quitter, saved by grace, because that's his story. Because the very last thing that the Apostle Paul ever wrote, Second Timothy, the last chapter of 2 Timothy, I think it's chapter 6 and verse 11, he said, would you bring John Mark with you? Because he's a help to me and a help to my ministry. Folks, that's grace. And I don't know where you are today and I don't know how you've fallen. I don't know, uh, you know how you've quit or given up on marriage or life or what God wants you to do. But I just want to tell you, grace is real. If you want to know Jesus Christ as Savior of your life, or if you just need to say, man, I, I just need someone to pray with me so I can give my life back to him afresh all over again, I'll be over by the cross as we stand together, as we sing. And I would love to talk with you, love to pray with you this morning. Love to introduce you to Jesus Christ as Savior and grace giver for your life. Let's stand together. Father God, I thank you so much for your grace. And I thank you that you listen to all of our prayers. And Father, more I thank you that you are a God of grace who looks not at uh, our failings and uh, the times we've walked away and given up and quit when it's hard, but Father, for the times that uh, you have given grace to us again to stand tall. Thank you for this lesson today, Father. And I just pray for anyone here today that's battling with the insecurity that Satan throws at them saying you're not good enough, or you're never going to amount to anything. 
or God couldn't love you or he couldn't use you because of what you've done in the past. Father, help us to forget our past through the blood of Jesus Christ and come to you righteous in his righteousness alone and offer ourselves to you for your service, however you want to use us. And that's our prayer in Jesus' name.